Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Thank you to Bethany for putting that together. And also a big thank you to Jordan for being willing to be part of that. Uh, unfortunately, he's not able to be here today, uh, but you keep your eyes out uh, for him in the future. He's often the one that's serving um, upstairs, mixing the live stream to make sure it sounds good for everybody that's tuning in. Uh, we greatly appreciate the, the service that he did, even though apparently he didn't sign up for it. So. <laughs> Um, I, I think that's one of the neat things that comes out in that video, too, is just the sense of serving and belonging. Uh, there's that big thing that we encourage of finding ways to serve and use your gifts in the church community, uh, because there is a place where you can find those deeper connections. Uh, another part that stood out to me uh, was his story of the, the worship night, um, where the worship on the mountain, um, in, in his story towards belief, Ah, that was a big piece. And and it wasn't necessarily these logical proofs. Sometimes we think we have to convince people um, with all of these kind of arguments into what it means to believe, Uh, but it really came through through seeing the beauty of God. I, I think there's something about kind of open, or being open to see the beautiful things that God does that really woos people towards Christ. And... Um, a little bit more connected to the sermon today, um, there's a sense of God calling him and speaking to him through different people and different events in his life. Um, I was struck by something he said early on. He spoke of his story in terms of the Bible not really being referenced. There was kind of this loose sense of the Scripture's teachings, but he never really saw it. And then he had the line, the more I looked, the more I saw. Uh, The the words fit within the Gospel of John quite well. If you look at the theme of belief, believe and seeing are often put side by side. And this theme is going to show up again today in our passage, except it's going to come up through um, hearing and believing. Uh, So I invite you now to take out your Bibles. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of John um, and at chapter 10. And we're actually going to read a larger section. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 33. I just want you to hear the language around Jesus being a shepherd and what it means to be sheep that hear the shepherd's voice. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the 2011 version of the uh, NIV, and your Bibles are the 2000... Or, 1984 version, so there could be a few differences, uh, but for the most part, it will line up nicely. Chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. 
Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of the dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, in our passage today, uh, we've had lots of imagery of Jesus kind of being this shepherd and us being sheep, and there's something very comforting around that image. I can't help but think of Psalm 23 when I read this, kind of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, Psalm 23 just has this flood of comforting images of what the shepherd does. The shepherd leads beside quiet waters, restores my soul, brings me safely through the valley of the shadow of death. 
There's this really comforting image of sheep and the shepherd, even though um, I don't necessarily know any shepherds. Um, it's not really a familiar image, but somehow it sticks. And some people kind of wonder, why, why is this such powerful language? Why does this kind of make sense? Why does this give us kind of that sense of real comfort? And one of my favorite answers comes from uh, Pastor Gerald Johnson. Uh, he says, and it's quite simple, really, it's that we know what it's like to feel like sheep. Uh, not all the time. Sometimes we can get by thinking that we're something smarter, uh, that we're something stronger, perhaps. If we're thinking in the animal world, that we could be something of our choice, the biggest, the strongest, and fastest. But if we're honest, we can see ourselves perhaps most clearly in the sheep. We know how easily we get frightened, how often we get distracted, that we are needy, that we are insecure, that we, deep down we know what it's like to be sheep. And often in, in a time of crisis or in a hospice bedside or a graveside service, a request is made to hear the word spoken that God is our shepherd. It's a reminder that we call out for when we feel immensely small and hopeless. We need to know that there's someone else in charge, that someone who knows us, that can protect us, to gather us in. As sheep, as people that know what it feels like to be sheep, we also need to know that there is a shepherd. And of course, it's not just death that can have us feeling small. It can be so many different things. It can be a challenge to our mental health that exposes the, that we don't have as much control over life, our, our lives as much as we would like to. It can be uncertainty maybe around uh, global politics or how quickly we could see uh, life potentially changing. Maybe you have a growing sense in yourself that you are changing uh, but the people around you or the world around you isn't. And you have this kind of uneasy feeling, this unsettled feeling, a feeling that you're stuck in some sort of unknown space. In these moments, it would be nice to know that there's something outside of us that guides us. Be nice to have a shepherd. Um, I think it's the, the vulnerability of the sheep that helps us connect with this shepherd imagery. There's a comfort in knowing that someone else is in charge, like a shepherd compared to sheep, to have this point-blank kind of trust of sheep, of their shepherd, knowing that there is someone that was infinitely more capable than us in keeping us protected and keeping us fed and keeping us nourished in searching for images to, to get this sense of security across, Jesus twice repeats, I am the good shepherd. He wants to know that this is not just wishful thinking, that he is it. And we can take comfort in this image because it is God himself who claims to be our shepherd. That as big as the difference is between shepherd and sheep, that the difference between humanity and God is more than that. And this is meant to give us this deep comfort. And we need this reminder in those times where we feel vulnerable. 
Now, Jesus' statement here in John chapter 10 comes also in a broader context, namely, right after John chapter 9. Um, and John chapter 9 gives an example of some shepherds of a different sort. Uh, these shepherds, these leaders of Israel, who are not taking care of the sheep very well. Uh, we won't read all of chapter 9, but I'll just give you a quick summary of what's in there so we can make the connection on what Jesus is building off of. Jesus, on the Sabbath day, heals a man who was born blind. And the religious shepherds of that day were upset with Jesus for healing on the wrong day because that was supposed to be a day for rest, not healing. Now, when they questioned this person who was healed, and he says that it was Jesus that healed him, their response is to hurl insults at him. And in verse 34, they say that they threw him out. The Pharisees in this previous story are the shepherds of Israel who do not have it right. There are these gatekeepers saying, this is who is in and this is who is out. And the actions of the Pharisees here are meant to have us thinking of Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel 34, we have the same sort of thing happening of the leaders of Israel just aren't getting it right. I'll, I'll read a, a section of it, but you get the full effect by reading the full chapter. Um, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat curds, clothe yourself with wool and slaughter choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. In the, those descriptions, you just have these different pictures of Jesus. Jesus being the one who goes out to seek the lost. Jesus, as the one who right there, is the one who brings healing. In contrast to the religious leaders of that day. And I think what's interesting about this passage in Ezekiel 34 is where it leads us. That at the end of it, there is a promise that God's not just going to leave them to the shepherds of that day. God promises... He says, I myself will search for my sheep and look for them as a shepherd after his scattered flock when he is with them. So I will look for my sheep. So Jesus is saying of the Pharisees that you're, you're just like the teachers of old, that you're no different from the ones who came before, that were missing the point that they are kicking people out of the flock for, for being healed or for b believing in the one that healed them. And he is saying, remember what God promised, that he would come and shepherd his people, that he would be the true shepherd. Well, Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. You throw people out, you send people away to be snatched by the wolves, but not me. Those who come to me are completely secure. They will never be snatched away. Jesus contrasts the Pharisees in saying that he is both the gate 
and the shepherd. Um, these are two very different images, um, gates and shepherds, but they actually come together in a neat way in, in the ancient Near East. If you were to travel around and, and see a shepherd, um, shepherds, when they, um, when they take their flocks outside into the wilderness uh, to find green spaces, they have to find a space for the sheep to be able to sleep, uh, to get rest. So they would often find a cave that would protect the sheep on three different sides. And then the shepherd themselves would go to sleep at the entrance of that cave. They would lie down and sleep there. Um, if you were to ask the shepherd in that context, where is the gate? Uh, the shepherd could respond, I am the gate. The shepherd is the one who decides who is in and who is out. If someone is going to try to snatch any of the sheep away, they're going to have to go through that shepherd. Again, there's that image of ultimate security that's found in there. The ones in the pen, the ones that are held safe by that shepherd, are the ones who are secure. Also, unlike the Pharisees, who are only kind of concerned with self-preservation, the good shepherd is characterized by giving fullness of life, regardless of the cost. Uh, pointing back to Ezekiel 34, you can say, look, I am strengthening the weak. I am healing the sick. I am binding up the injured. I am doing the work of the shepherd. And it doesn't stop there. Jesus says, I will give my life for the flock. Jesus gives a taste of what is to come. He's preparing them already for the crucifixion. We're going to be entering into Lent next week already, and we're going to be focusing ourselves a little bit more directly towards these themes. But they're showing up already here in chapter 10. He wants to let them know just how deep his love is, just how much he cares for his sheep. Jesus is also kind of giving a note that the sheep are in some pretty big trouble, that we need nothing short of him laying down his life for us, and that is something that he will do willingly. And Jesus says all of these things in plain sight. Uh, people hear this. Very, everybody hears his words. But it's one thing to hear him, and it's another thing to know his voice, to know that his voice is one with the Father. Uh, just remember for a moment the, the video that we just watched from Jordan and his reflection on seeing God as active in his life. The problem for him wasn't that God wasn't active earlier on, but it was that he just didn't see, he didn't recognize the way that God was moving. It's when he started looking that he saw God was there, not in new places, but God came into focus in the places where God was already active and at work in his life. Here, the people who don't believe, they hear Jesus' words, but they don't recognize the Father in him. They don't see him as the one who can deliver on this promise of salvation. They don't see him as this beautiful image of God come to be with them, Jesus as that shepherd. And our challenge kind of for us is to see, um, are, are we listening for the shepherd's voice? Are we hearing the words and seeing who they direct us towards? 
can you see Jesus come into greater clarity as we read through the Gospel of John? The invitation is still the same as when we began, that we're invited as we kind of travel through John to come and see, to come and listen, to familiarize yourself with the shepherd's voice, to hear the Father's voice at the very same time as Jesus' words are being spoken. Now the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and that's important because that's how sheep are actually led from place to place. Um, in, in the ancient Near East and even in the Middle East today, um, you don't have uh, the, what would they be called, uh, sheepdogs that corral the sheep into places that they need to go. Uh, the sheep listen for the shepherd's voice and they follow. Uh, so to help us remember, I have my image here of a sheep. And let's say there is some chaos, something that's a little bit scary ahead of them. The shepherd is not one that stands behind the sheep and says, you go out and do that. You go into that uncertain place on your own. The shepherd is one that stands ahead of the sheep and says, come and follow me. It doesn't necessarily remove the chaos. It doesn't necessarily remove some of the uncertainty. It's the shepherd may be guiding them through a storm of sorts, but the shepherd is indeed there and calling them through. The sheep are called to follow the shepherd. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me, says Jesus. The invitation from the very beginning, again, has been those words of come and see, come and follow, come and journey with Christ. Come even into the places that may seem unknown, that the shepherd is already present in those places that may be so uncertain for you. This extends even, and I guess especially, into death. Jesus is the one who has gone ahead of us, who has died, who has conquered death. What is unknown, what feels unknown for us is something certain for him. As sheep of the good shepherd, we are free to wander ahead with full confidence that God has things under control. That regardless of how things might appear, regardless of who appears to be in charge, that we will in fact never be snatched away. We might think that we are too weak, that we haven't done enough, that we are not certain enough in our conviction, that we don't know enough things. But this passage doesn't talk about any of these things. The qualification is simply of the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice. The sheep are able to identify who he is, that he is the good shepherd, the one who has come to save them. The trust doesn't go on their own strength, but the trust is based on the shepherd's ability to protect and to guide. Jesus gives the assurance of security for those who feel vulnerable, for us sheep. He gives these words, no one can snatch them from my hand. Uh, this no one in there can, can be extended to nothing can snatch us from Jesus' hand. 
It reminds me of a, a passage in, in Romans chapter 8, another common passage of assurance that speaks of how nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. No height, nor depth, no power, no authority, nothing can get between us and the love of Christ. No one can snatch them from my hand is an image also of one that is just really personal and connected. Jesus doesn't simply have you guarded, but he has you in his hand. You are held and protected and secure in the hands of Christ. And when we look at what gives him this authority, on what basis can he claim that they are fully secure and, um, and protected? Well, we see that Jesus' hand is one and the same of being held in God's very hands. Notice how closely Jesus associates with the Father here. He first says that nobody can snatch him from his hand, and then he says that nobody can snatch them out of God's hand. And he even closes with the line, I and the Father are one. Jesus wants to make it clear that he is God, that he is God finally come down to shepherd his people, that they can finally do away with the selfish shepherds that are only go- trying to vie for power. As God shows what he looks like. God's power is the one that serves, one that gives his life for others. Now, if you ever wonder if if Jesus was understood properly, um, you could just look at the response of the people around him. The Jewish people understand Jesus completely here, and they show this by picking up stones. They're ready to kill him over this. It's one thing to claim to be the Messiah, but it's another thing to claim to be God himself. It's going too far. They say, you are a mere man, or you, a mere man, claim to be God. They hear the words, uh, but they can't accept what it is pointing towards. We're, We're reminded of just how big that claim is that we read earlier on in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 14, of the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. That God becoming human is something truly amazing to be grappled with. And God taking on flesh is only the beginning of the length that God will go to bring his rescue for his people. More than just saying that he is God, he says that he is showing who the Father is. And in displaying who God is to us, he shows that God is the one who offers himself for us. That's the type of God he is. And we are sheep. So I want to finish with this image here. It's nothing that the sheep do. It's in their belonging to the shepherd. Those who have heard his voice, those who have believed into him, who have followed him, We only need to listen what the shepherd says to follow his voice, to go where he leads. And we know that nobody will be able to snatch us from him. We may know hardships, we may know our set of challenges, but we trust that the good shepherd has it all under control. After all, we belong to him.
And today, I actually want to finish uh, with a call and response reading from our question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism is this 450-year-old document that was put together to teach children the essentials of the Christian faith. Um, and if you read other uh, Christian teaching documents from that time, uh, they're often using these big words and kind of caught up with defining who God is, but this has a different tone. It's one that is much more personal. And its first question points us towards where our only comfort is, that this comfort is in this full belonging to Jesus, this full belonging to the one who reveals himself to us as the good shepherd. So I'll read the question, and I invite you to respond with the answer. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you are the good shepherd, that you know us, you call us, you lay down your life for us. May we respond with the trust of sheep before a shepherd, following that's compelled to go wherever you call us. May we follow you through the darkest of valleys, through the thickest of fogs, the fiercest of storms, with a trust in you as the shepherd that will guide us to life and life to the fullest. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.